Okay, let me explain um, what we're going to do uh, today and for the rest of this term. Um, as a church, our joy and our practice is to take a book of the Bible and to work our way through um, that book of the Bible. By the way, Bob and Elizabeth, congratulations. It's so great to see you guys here. We love having new babies join our church family. So congratulations to you guys. Sorry, I just got distracted, that's all. Great. Um, Our conviction is to take books of the Bible and to work our way through them so that we really hear what God is saying. And what we're going to do in the next term is we're going to do that with the book of Galatians. Um, And we're going to get to know um, the book of Galatians together. So if you've got a Bible, can you turn to um, Galatians? And we're going to try something that we haven't done before. Um, So this is new. So if you're here for the first time, this isn't our normal practice, but we're going to try something. This afternoon, in order for us to begin to get a sense of Galatians, because I really want us to experience the book of Galatians, all right? I don't want just them to be words on the page. I want us to really experience what the message of Galatians is. And so this afternoon, we're going to go right the way through the whole book so that you hear every word of the book of Galatians. Um, Now, we're going to do this in slightly different ways. And I want to explain something um, carefully. For the last three months, um, I have been enjoying the book of Galatians. Every day, I've taken a little bit of the book of Galatians in my morning time with God, and I've read a few verses, and I've meditated on it, I've thought about it, and I've really tried to understand it. And then I have tried to memorize it. Um, Now, that's taken me three months, and every day I've just done a little bit more. Now, the reason I say this, and there is, look, there's a danger this afternoon. I get there's a danger. I do not want you to be impressed with me. Like, I'm not, that's not what I'm trying to do. But what I am trying to to do is to say to you, learning bits of the Bible is a really, really good thing to do. In fact, it's not just a good thing. In Psalm 119, the person who wrote Psalm 119 says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now, I don't think we're very good at remembering things in our culture. You see, there used to be a time when I would know a whole bunch of phone numbers. I knew phone numbers. I knew loads of phone numbers. I knew my granny's phone number, my phone number. I knew my friend's phone numbers because it was the only way I could contact them. I don't know hardly anyone's phone number now. I don't need to. (laughs) And we've got it out of the habit of learning things, of memorizing things. And so I want to encourage you to think about Bible memorization. You may say, I'm not very good at memorizing stuff. Have you tried? Just take a little bit, and I'm not just talking about one verse, okay? I get that we do this sometimes when we're, when we're little kids. We maybe just learn one verse at a time. I'm talking about learning chunks. Not necessarily a whole book like Galatians, but perhaps a whole psalm or a, a chunk of a book. And as you learn it, you discover you really begin, it begins to change you. And the way that I do it, if it's helpful, is I just take a few verses, I memorize those, and then as I walk down the street, I'm practicing. Whenever I'm walking somewhere, I'm speaking out Galatians. If you've walked past me walking down Borough High Street in the last few weeks, you'll have heard me going, you foolish Galatians! (laughs) And um, 
because I've just been talking. And then, as you talk it out, you discover it can then become worship. As you take those words and you begin to say, wow, Lord, thank you that Christ redeemed me from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for me. And it begins to be part of a way that you can then just worship him. So look, I want to encourage you to think about memorizing the Bible. And so what we're going to do this afternoon is I'm going to, I've really enjoyed trying to learn parts of Galatians. So what we're going to do is I'm going to do a combination of reading and reciting Galatians. And there'll be very, you'll probably have noticed, the more astute, that there are various things around the room which we will use at various points. And I hope that this will help us to experience it. So that's what's going on. Who knows what might happen? But we're going to give it a go. But before we read any of it, I just want to give you a couple of things to look out for as you, as you listen. You see, this book of Galatians, there are bits that are quite complicated. And even as you listen to them, don't worry if you don't understand everything, it's all right. But the basic, at the heart of the message of Galatians is this question of identity. Galatians is essentially answering this question. Who are the people of God? Who are the true people of God? What is it that marks out and is a distinctive mark of God's people? How do you spot them? And there are two possible answers that Galatians is going to show us. One that is wrong and that makes Paul very upset, who wrote Galatians. And one that he's encouraging us to embrace. You see, are you marked out by an external obedience to the Old Testament law? That is, do you spot God's people because they keep the Ten Commandments? And, in particular, circumcision. That's the big issue in Galatians. I realize that may not be our big issue this afternoon, but it was the big issue in Galatians. If you really want to be one of God's people, you need to keep the law, and to keep the law, you need to be circumcised. That was, the, that was what was going on. And Paul says, no. No, it is not law. It is not obedience to the law. It's not what you do. It's not about your effort. It's not about you being good or keeping the rules. He says over and over again, and I want you to hear it this afternoon. He says over and over again, it's grace. It's faith. It's trusting what Christ has done that marks out who God's people are. You become part of God's covenant community, not by work, but by grace. And you're going to hear some really beautiful, beautiful things this afternoon. And if you're sitting here, you're not used to being in church or you're not a Christian, you're going to hear some of the most beautiful words in the human language because they describe God's love for us. It's stunning. Now, the reason I've given you a piece of paper with two buckets on is that as we go through, pretty much every phrase in Galatians can be put in one of these two buckets. Either Paul is saying, it's not by law, don't do this, not like this, not like this, or he's saying, you're saved by grace. And I'd love you to hear so many words he uses. Think as you're listening, maybe you drift off at some point, try and catch yourself and think, where do I put that phrase? You know, when he describes us as slaves, which bucket does that go in? All right? I hope that all makes sense. Is everybody happy? 
Are we all right for this? It's going to be okay. It's going to be all right by God's grace. Why don't we pray, and then we're just going to hear God's word. Father, we ask for your help now. Lord, please, in your mercy and your grace, would you speak to us? Would there be things that we hear in your words? Just this word, not, not my words, but your word, Father, that really grip us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, just to give you a heads up, it will last, it will take about 20 minutes to read Galatians. And we're not then having a long sermon afterwards. This is it, right? This is your sermon for today. <laughs> it is the book of Galatians. It'll take about 20 minutes, but I think you'll find it's quite engaging as we go. Here we go. Paul, an apostle, sent not from man, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ. And God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let me just say at this point, you may have, my suggestion is you have it open in front of you, but you also watch some of the stuff that's going on, okay, just so that helps you, okay, otherwise that might make sense to you. Here we go, verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we've already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Brothers, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preach is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you've heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me according to his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me. My immediate response was not to consult any man. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But I went into Arabia, later returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, also known as Peter. I stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. 
I assure you before God, what I'm writing to you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and to Cilicia. I was previously unknown to the churches of Judea who were in Christ. They'd only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. They praised God because of me. Then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he's a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for one moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John gave me the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we would continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do all along. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men from James came, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile. How is it then that you force the Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by, faith, not justified by the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ in order that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves among the sinners, does that mean Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. 
the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law will be justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. As it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through faith so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can add to or set aside a human covenant that is duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were made to Abraham and his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I'm saying is that the law, introduced 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, it no longer depends on the promise. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. Why then was the law given at all? Well, it was added because of transgression. Until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. 
So is the law, therefore, opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if righteousness could be given, could come through, if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But the scripture locked up everything under the control of sin. So that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Thanks, Abraham. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law. Locked up. Until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under a, cur- under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. For in Christ Jesus, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he's no different to a slave. Although the heir owns the whole estate, The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were under age, we were held in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of this world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law. Uh That we might receive, that's right, that we might receive adoption as son of sonship. And since you are his sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So, You are no longer a slave. You're a child of God. Come on, hear that. You you, you with it? You are no longer a slave. You are a child of God. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Wow. Formerly, When you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you do know God, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. As you know, it was because of an illness I first preached the gospel to you. And although my illness was a trial to you, 
You did not treat me with contempt or with scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I was an angel of God, as if I was Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you might have zeal for them. Now, it's fine to be zealous as long as the purpose is good and to be so always and not just when I'm with you. Oh, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware what the law says? For it's written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman, the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of the divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. These two women stand for two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds with the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free. She is our mother. For it's written, be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Break forth and shout aloud, you who are never in labor, for more of the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It's the same now. But what does Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son. For the slave woman's son will never share any inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Abraham, sit down. (laughs) Doesn't say that. (laughs) Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare that every man who lets himself be circumcised will be required to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law, you have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith, expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not, keep you, does not come from the one who called you. 
A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I'm confident in the Lord you will take no other view. The one who's throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather serve one another, humbly, in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit. Spirit. Here it is. Live by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so you are not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under law. Say that. The acts, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, Fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before, those who live that way will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So I say, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin... You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks there's something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take the pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Those who sow to the flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. But those who sow to the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let's not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. 
Therefore, as you have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Even those who are circumcised don't keep the law. Yet they want you to be circumcised so they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. Right, listen to this. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world was crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. I genuinely think it's stunning. <laughs> and I know that there'll be loads of stuff in it that you go, I didn't get that. I don't understand what that means. But did you feel something of his heart? Did you feel something of his passion? That we would be a church that is not split up. You see, this is the danger, right? This is what human beings do all the time. We separate into little groups and there's the in crowd and the out crowd. They were the real people of God, and then they were the kind of mm, bit on the outside. We separate up in all sorts of different groups, and you've got to keep these rules, and you've got to uh, be this way. You know what it's like at school, right? When you're at school, to be in the gang, you've got to, you know, wear the right thing. Trainers. You've got to have the right trainers, and then you can be in the gang. And we go, how, how petty, how silly, how small. And yet, that's what we do in church. To be in the in crowd, you've got to have gone to the right place. You've got to speak in the right way. You've got to have the right background. You've got to have the right behavior. You've got to look the right way. You've got to be the right way. And we put these rules, and, and some people end up feeling excluded, and some people feel like they're the, that they're it. And Paul wants to take the people who are proud and says, don't you dare be proud. And he wants to take those who feel like nothing, and he says, don't you dare feel like nothing. And he wants to say in that beautiful verse in the middle, for in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, neither is there male and female. Three of the biggest distinctions that we like to make as humanity. Splitting people up and based on their ethnicities, based on their class, based on their gender. We divide, we divide, and Paul says, Jesus pulls us all together. When you see that the cross of Christ is our only hope. Not law, not rules. And the moment that being a Christian feels like slavery, we've turned back to rules. Because being a Christian is supposed to feel free. Freedom. It is for freedom that you've been set free. So before we come to sing and to, to worship, I, I just wonder, what, is there a phrase that sticks in your mind from what you've heard? 
Is there something that you just think, that, that was beautiful? Or something you think, oh, I'm looking forward to hearing about that. We just going to ask the band to come up and um, we're going to respond to what we've heard together. Oh, thank you, false teachers. I have to say, I probably couldn't have picked two of the nicest, nicer people <laughs> to be our false teachers. So, um, sorry for that. Um, but let's just take a moment. What is it that perhaps even this afternoon God has been saying to you? What is it about Jesus? Look, we're going to explain it all. We're going to go through it in loads of detail in the next few weeks. But just, it's beautiful, some of this stuff that he says. So take a moment of quiet. And then, perhaps Jay, when you're ready, we'll help us to worship God together.